so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. It's a great joy to be back with you today. Um, it's been 10 years since I was the pastor here because I was pastor here 2011, 12, 13. So, um, so I need to apologize. I, uh, I was chatting to someone. I remember back when I was a pastor, the pastor here in Yass and um, and they were disagreeing with the decision I was making. And I remember saying to them, look, this is the, the way I see this decision needs to be made now. In 10 years' time, I'll be wiser. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I hope to grow in those, in those 10 years. And I'll look differently at the decision I'm, decisions I'm making now. Right now, I've got to prayerfully make the best decisions I can. But in 10 years' time, I'll look back and I'll, I hope that I'll see that some of them were bad decisions because that'll be a sign that I've grown. And so now it's been 10 years, and I do look back and I do see that I made some bad decisions. And so I want to apologize if in any way when I was pastor here, um, I, I hurt you or someone that you love, and I, I do want to ask for your forgiveness. Um, but the, that's not the point of why I'm here. I'm here to share the Word of God. So um, I'm excited to be doing that. Um, it's, a, it's a great joy to be here in Yas. For so many reasons. Like Steve said, I was hit with a wave of nostalgia as I walked in. Um, there's so many lovely faces of, of friends that, we, um, that we've now known for, for many years. Um, but also it's a church that taught me so much. Um, I was 24 when the church called me to be the pastor here. And then 25 when I started. So quite young. I didn't have a beard. Um, I looked really young. Often people would mistake me for just the greeter at the door. Um, but it was, uh, it was a great time in my life. And so I, I want to thank Yas Baptist for that season, um, for the season of growth in our lives and the, the beautiful season that we had here. But I also want to thank the church for supporting us um, financially over this time. We've been in Russia for yeah, nine years or so. And that whole time, Yas Community Baptist has supported us financially, um, both from the church budget and some members of the church as well. And that has enabled us to do what we were doing over there. And so I want to actually speak about that today. The, the, the title of the message today is, uh, What Happens When You Send Your Money to the Mission Field? And I feel really free talking about it because I'm not asking for any more money. We're back. <laughs> we're back. So I don't, it's, it's not like, you know, the missionary kind of saying, hey, you need to support missions, you know, i.e. me. You know, it's, it's not that because we're back and we're, we're coming off financial support and so it's, it's the, season, it's the best time for me to be able to preach about what it means when you send your money to the mission field for you to pray about it and think about it and to be encouraged because I know many of you are supporting and generous people who have been supporting missions and aid work both locally and globally for many years, but also a chance to take stock and think, is this something that God is calling me to do more of? Uh, I remember when I was a young Christian uh, in Sydney, and I was a young adult. And I remember looking at some of my rich Christian friends, people who were a little bit older than me, who had successful careers, and I'd see how they were wealthy and they were enjoying their, their rich Christian lives. And uh, I would engage in a little bit of casual judgmentalism. Amen. Because I was a poor Bible college student. And when you're a poor Bible college student, it's very easy to fall into a rut where you think, well, I've chosen ministry and they've chosen careers. I've chosen to serve God and they've chosen to make money. You, know, you can fall into a rut of, of judging others and kind of justifying yourself, thinking that you're more righteous than these other uh, rich Christian friends. 
Yeah. And you can think that up until a certain point. And the point is when you realize how generous some of your rich Christian friends are. How much they're giving to missions, how much they're giving to aid, how much they're giving of their time and their energy for the kingdom of God in the world. And the interesting thing is, you don't know. You don't know how much other people are giving. Uh, You actually don't know how much the people in this room are giving to missions and aid because they don't tell you. And they don't tell you because Jesus said, when you give, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. We might have said it the other way around. Do not yet let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's from Matthew 6. And the church does that. Generally, Christians obey that teaching of Jesus. And they give and we don't know about it. And I can't pull back the veil and show you. Only God can see that. And so it's the secret activity of the church is giving giving to missions, giving to aid, supporting the kingdom of God with their finances. It means you and I are oblivious to how much it's done around us. And so it's hard to then know how much should I be giving? What what level of generosity should I experience in my own life? For over eight years now, we've been uh, experiencing missions giving. We've been on the receiving end of missions giving. Uh, We've seen what people have donated uh, to us. And it's opened our eyes. I remember uh, before we left, we would put out the call and we're asking people to support us in missions. Um, and one guy came up to me and he, he, was, he was probably my richest Christian friend. And I had judged him a little bit as well for being so rich. Um, I don't know why. You, as Christians, we judge people for being wealthy. But, um, and, he, and he said to me, um, hey, look, prayed about it. We made a decision. We'll support you five grand each year for three years. Uh, after that, you can ask us again. Um, and if you have any real need when you're in Siberia, I know it's cold and dark and, you know, <laughs> let me know because, you know, maybe we can do, do something if you have a need. Just let me know. I don't want you, you know, over there and it's cold and you just don't have anyone to ask for help. And it was like a 40 second conversation and it changed my view, changed my view of him, it made me realize, wow, if that's how easily you're willing to just donate 15 grand and, and it's a 40 second conversation to you and it, it just it felt to me like you've done this before. <laughs> and it, it, it opened my eyes to this reality that I had looked at this person and, and I had, didn't see this ministry that they were doing with their finances. And now I had a chance to see a little bit of that. And over the last eight years, nine years, we've seen that more and more. And so while I can't, I can't tell you how much other people are giving, I don't know. But what I can do is we can, I can help you look at the Bible. We can look at the Bible together and think, what does it mean, biblically, theologically, when we send our money to the mission field? What's actually going on spiritually? And so we're looking at Philippians, um, specifically the last 11 verses of that Bible reading, Philippians 4, 10 to 20, which is arguably the best passage in the Bible for showing us how the financial relationship works between a missionary and the church that is supporting that missionary financially. In this case, it's the Apostle Paul. He actually planted the church in Philippi. Um, You can read about that in Acts 16. And then now they've been supporting him financially as a missionary. And he thanks them for financially supporting him just recently by a gift, uh, thanks thanks them for a gift that he received um, in the hands of a guy called Epaphroditus who traveled from that church, Philippi, to where Paul was in prison, probably in Rome. 
and, and brought this financial gift. And the reason for writing the, the letter to the Philippians is partially to write a thank you note. And we actually have that thank you note in our letter, uh, in the letter, the, the, the part that we read today. So what I want to do is dive in and look at what happens when you send your money to the mission field. I've got five observations from this passage. And the first is this. When you send your money to the mission field, um, you make missionaries rejoice in the Lord. Paul says this in verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. The first reaction uh, when you receive a financial gift as a missionary is joy. But it's not the kind of joy that you'd expect. When we were serving in Siberia, we were mainly involved in the ministries we were doing. We weren't thinking about our finances. But then every once in a while, we, we thought, oh, we should check our support, see how our support is going. And so we'd open up the website that was this internal website for the mission organization that we were with, and we're able to see a list of the names of people who had supported us financially over the last month and the numbers of how much they'd supported us. Now, it's interesting, but I want to ask you, what column do you think brought us more joy? The names or the numbers? It was the names. Now, I wouldn't expect that, but it was definitely the names. The numbers, as long as they reach some kind of budget at the end of the month, that's fine. You know, doesn't, almost doesn't really matter. It's the names. And it didn't matter if someone was supporting us $5 a month. It's still that, that name being there every month, it mattered to us. We would think about those people. I'd look over those, that list and I'd see their faces in my head. And I'd be grateful to God for them. Because it was a renewal of concern. That's what Paul's saying. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because at last you'd renewed your concern for me. And it's that renewal of concern, that sense of being part of the global church, that sense of being part of God's family that is the first thing a missionary experiences when you support them, when you send your money to the mission field. Um, and notice that it's a joy in the Lord. Paul doesn't just say, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice in the Lord. Why in the Lord? It's because when you go out as a missionary, you go out trusting that God is providing for you. You go out relying on him. And so when somebody sends money to that missionary, that is a confirmation that God is providing for your needs. It's a confirmation of your calling. It's a confirmation that God is with you, that he is looking after you. And so that leads to praise. And thus, Paul can say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord when you renewed your concern for me. We experience this, this joy often. We experience it every time we come down to Yas. We stay with uh, Lois and Dacre at the farm. And just our kids remember the farm. They love the farm. Uh, they sometimes don't remember their uncles and aunties' names. But they remember Mr. and Mrs. Weston. Um, because it's a place where we come and we feel that renewal of concern, this hospitality, this love, this sense that you're a part of the family. And that is so important for a missionary because a missionary is by nature someone who has left family to go and serve God in another place. So that's the first observation. When you send your money to the mission field, you make missionaries rejoice in the Lord. The second observation I have from this passage is a little bit more awkward. When you send your money to the mission field to support missionaries, you're not helping the needy. This is where Paul's thank you note becomes a little awkward. It becomes a bit of a thank you but note. 
He says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul makes the point that while he's grateful for the gift that the Philippians have given, he didn't need it. You might wonder, why is he saying that? Why would you say, thank you, but by the way, I didn't need that gift? Paul actually teaches us in other places that we have a responsibility as Christians to help those in need. But he, he, here he wants to be clear, but that's not me. I don't fit into that category. I'm not one of those who's been impoverished by famine, by war, by a disability. I'm not in need in that same category as maybe the story of the Good Samaritan and the guy who's on the road. We have a responsibility to help people like that, but that's, as a missionary, that's, that's not me. I'm in a different category. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, and the word content actually, um, actually means self-sufficient. I've learned to look after my own needs. As a responsible adult, I can work. He was a tent maker. I can provide for myself. I've learned to look after myself. And and I'm I'm okay being hungry as well and and going without. So Paul's saying, I'm I'm not really in the same category as someone in need. And you might wonder, why would you say that when you're thanking someone? I mean, if if I gave you a Christmas gift, I I wouldn't be very nice if you said, wow, thanks. I don't need this, but I'm grateful. You feel a little odd, right? We have a different you know, receiving etiquette. Paul makes it clear, though, and it's probably because in his culture, if you helped someone in need, you were establishing a patron-client relationship. And that is where the giver now has a significant say in the life of the receiver, what they're going to do with their time, with their money, and with their resources. And that makes sense. If, for example, you have a brother who goes into debt... And then you say, okay, brother, I'll pay off your debt. But from now on, any big financial decisions have to go through me. (laughs) That's what a patron-client relationship is. It's where you say, look, I've helped you out, but in order to keep helping you out, I need to have a say in what you're doing. And Paul's saying, as a missionary, that's not what's going on. Uh, I'm not your client. Paul had actually planted that church. He, He wanted it to be clear that, that they're not his patrons, he's not their client. That's not the relationship that's being established as they give to him. And so he makes it clear, look, by the way, I wasn't really in need. Uh, When we were in Russia um, uh, a couple of years ago, Joe had this incredible experience in a village. It was a Tatar village, um, which is a Muslim people group. And um, she uh, she saw a woman at the well. And she'd actually read that morning the story of the woman at the well. And so she saw this woman at the well, walked over and helped this woman carry water back to... It was an elderly woman who was carrying water from the well back to her house. Helped, helped the woman and walked into her house with her and was sitting chatting to this woman. And Joe said to her, um, we, we have hope in Isa. Isa is the Muslim name for Jesus, the Arabic name for Jesus. We have hope in Isa. And the woman said, uh, uh, Who? And Joe said, we, we have hope in Isus, which is the Russian name for Jesus, because they're chatting, they're speaking in Russian. And the woman said, who? And Joe tried another couple of ways to say the name of Jesus. And the woman said, look, I know you're talking about someone, but I don't know who it is. And Joe realized this is the first time someone has told this woman about Jesus. And she was blown away by this opportunity 
to be the first one to tell this woman about Jesus. Uh, we then wrote back to our supporters and said, hey, this, this door is opening up to a ministry among the Tatars, particularly for Jo, who's, who's grown in her gift of evangelism. And it's an incredible opportunity. And, and Joe's going to start taking teams out to villages and reaching the Tatars with the gospel. And she started doing that, and that was an incredible ministry. Um, but we got one email back from one of our supporters, and they said, look, um, Muslims already know God. Um, you've got a white savior complex. Um, we don't support you going to reach the Muslims with the gospel. And this was a financial support. Um, not from anywhere around here, don't worry. <laughs> don't look around. Um, and um, and, and they, they, they were sort of saying, look, we're your financial supporters, so you really have to listen to what we say. And we're saying, don't, don't start a ministry amongst Muslims, telling them about Jesus. And we prayed about that, and we respectfully said to them, thanks for all your support, we're really grateful, but we really believe this is what God's opening up for us, this opportunity. So we are going to do this. And they said, okay, well, we think our financial support would be better used elsewhere. And they stopped supporting us. And that was okay. Um, but it was, it's just an illustration of the fact that as missionaries, we weren't the client to the patron who was donating. That's not how the relationship works. Paul makes that clear. So how does the relationship work? What is the relationship then between a financial supporter and a missionary? Um, Paul actually goes on and says this. This is my third observation. When you send your money to the mission field, you're in partnership with missionaries. And this is a really key concept. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Everybody say share. 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 Good job. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul speaks of gospel partnership twice in these verses when we see that word share in the NIV. Uh, both of those verbs share a root with the main word for partnership, in the New Testament, a word koinonia. And it's actually a key word in Philippians. Paul starts off um, the, the letter to the Philippians saying, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here Paul is explaining what he means by this idea of partnership. He's saying, you shared in my trouble. You shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. We were partners together in this whole reality where you were supporting my ministry. Supporters are partners with missionaries. It's a partnership. Supporters, financial supporters are covering the financial requirements of that partnership. Missionaries are covering the labor requirements of that partnership, but it is a partnership. The Apostle John says it in this way, We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's 3 John 8, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. His, his idea is, if you show hospitality to a missionary, you become a fellow worker of that missionary for the truth. Even that, though that missionary is going to go somewhere else and do ministry somewhere else, you, by showing hospitality to them, by supporting them, you have become a fellow worker with them. Paul's word, a partner. You're in partnership with them. 
as Joe moved forward in this ministry to the Tatars, um, there, was, there were incredible doors that were opening up. She had an experience where um, she even prayed for a guy who couldn't walk. His legs were in so much pain. And, uh, and the guy was healed. And he can walk. And uh, she's been in touch with him lately. And, and they're, they're reading the Bible, following Jesus. These are Muslims who have become Christians because of this incredible ministry. And, uh, but the, the ministry cost a bit of money, right? So it was a drive away, a five-hour drive away from our house. And then uh, there, was, there were different um, aspects of, the, of, that, of a trip that would cost money. In total, each trip might cost about 500 bucks. $300 on, on petrol, $100 on groceries that Joe and the team would distribute to these, the poorest of the poor in these villages, maybe $100 on literature. And so that $500 has to come from somewhere. We had a, a home group in Sydney, a Bible study group, that said to us, look, we love what you're doing. We love this ministry, and we want to be a part of it. Um, can we, as a home group, financially support just that ministry? And we said, yeah, each trip costs about 500 bucks. And they said, okay, we'll see what we can get together as a group. And they got together about 3,500. And, and that covers about seven of these trips. Each trip is, it lasts a couple of days long, three or four days. And, and so they were able to, to pay for seven of these trips out into the villages. They would pray while Joe was out in the villages. And we were able to share with them just recently, sit in their, their home group and say, here are the photos, here are the stories. This is what you guys did. And it really felt like a partnership. When you're a missionary, it really feels like a partnership. When people are supporting you financially in what you're doing, praying for you, it actually, to us, it doesn't feel like we're doing ministry and you're kind of somehow enabling that. It feels like we're doing it together with you. That's what it feels like to missionaries. We are actually in partnership with one another. And that leads me to my fourth observation from this passage. When you send money to the mission field, you're gaining more than you're giving. Paul says this in verse 17, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. More be credited to your account. In the Greek it says that the fruit be credited to your account. This idea that Paul in ministry is reaching people with the gospel. He's preaching. People are getting saved. There's fruit in his ministry. And then that fruit is credited to the Philippian church before God. God sees the fruit of Paul's ministry as the fruit of the Philippians, of the Philippians ministry. It's their fruit. And Paul's saying, I want more to be credited to your account. I want you guys to, to give and I'm going to go and do kingdom stuff and God's going to credit it to you. How cool is that? And that idea is based on the teaching of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 10, 41 and 42. Where he says, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Imagine that. Imagine that. You welcome a prophet because they're a prophet. You let them stay in your house. And you get not a hospitality reward <laughs> before God. You get a prophet's reward. You get the same reward as the prophet. Jesus says, whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. How easily kingdom rewards rub off on those who support missionaries, on those who support fruitful kingdom work around the world. I think, you know, when Billy Graham... Um, came to Australia, something like 2% of the, 
of the Australian population came forward to receive Christ during his sermons. Didn't just attend, came forward. 2% of the population. Imagine if you were able to buy his plane ticket here. Go back in time, say, Billy, I'll buy your plane ticket. <laughs> I want to be responsible before God for 2% of Australia coming forward. Wow, how cool would that be? Whoever welcomes Billy Graham receives Billy Graham's reward. That's how it works. It's the same today. When you see fruitful kingdom ministry and you support that ministry in some way, you receive the reward before God of that ministry. That's how it works. And what that means is that we actually have a clear pathway for transferring earthly wealth into kingdom reward. Earthly wealth into heavenly wealth, heavenly reward. Jesus says it like this, Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and in that way, you will provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. There is a pathway to transfer earthly wealth into heavenly reward. I know I'm preaching to the choir for many of you. You've been doing this longer than I've been alive, some of you. It's part of who you are. And let this just be an encouragement to you. Here our understanding of missions giving ascends radically upward. Paul started on a very horizontal, horizontal plane by saying, When you gave, it gave me joy. You know, it was, it was a renewal of concern for me. I'm grateful for that. Very horizontal. Now we're going radically and rapidly vertical. Paul's saying, when you give, more is credited to your account. And that brings me to my final observation from Philippians 4. When you send money to the mission field, God is pleased. Paul says this in verse 18. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Sacrifice is the primary picture of the pleasure of God in the Old Testament. It says about 35 times in Leviticus and Numbers, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's this image where, where God receives a sacrifice. You burn an animal before God. The smoke wafts up into God's nostrils and he is pleased. And he's not just pleased with the smell. He's not just pleased with the sacrifice, but he is pleased with the one bringing the sacrifice. So much so that in Psalm 20, it says, May God remember all your sacrifices and look with favor on your burnt offerings. The assumption is that if God really does receive a sacrifice that you bring, then he is pleased with you and he will have favor upon you. Wow, how good it is to please God. How good it is when he accepts our sacrifices. And this is where we realize that missions giving is not really about the missionary at all. It's about pleasing God in our lives with what he has given us. We were... Um, up in uh, a church recently and, and one of the guys in the church had, had given us 10 grand last year to put our kids through school. And it, it costs a lot to have our kids in the school system that they, we had in Russia. 
and uh, that covered most of it. And I, went, I was able to go up to him and, and thank him personally and just say, hey, mate, I just want to thank you for that gift, you know, giving that amount of money to help put our kids through school in Russia. I mean, that was just... And he, he basically just cut me off. I mean, oh, it's all right, mate. Like, he, he didn't want my thanks. And I tried, you know, as a missionary, you try to be thankful. <laughs> you try to do a good job <laughs> of saying thank you. And, and, and he just said to me, you know, Tim, like, my grandparents... They gave to missions their whole lives. I'm only about halfway through my career, but I intend to do the same as them. And you know, by him saying that, it just became so clear to me that his giving had very little to do with me. It had more to do with his grandparents <laughs> than it had to do with me. He just wanted to be faithful before God with the money that God was providing for him and his family and he wanted to do that in honor of people that had done the same thing before him. And this was much more about him pleasing God than it was about the missionaries that he was supporting. And, you know, as we close, I just want to encourage you with this final line that Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When we support mission and aid, when we're, when we're giving, we're giving to a God who is pleased by our giving. And that is the same God who provides for us. And that's, I, I don't think that's, you know, that tells us you should give in order to get or anything like that. But I think what it does is it encourages us. Those of us who are a little bit afraid that if I give more, maybe I'll end up with less. And it's an encouragement to say, that is the God who's been providing, you the whole, providing for you the whole way along. He's the God who is pleased when you give to missions and aid. He's the God who accepts that sacrifice. So I want to end by saying thank you uh, to YCBC for supporting us as missionaries. But of course, it's not about us. Thank you to you guys as believers for what you've been doing for the kingdom of God. Uh, I don't see it all. The people around you don't see it all. Only God sees it. But when you give to missions and aid, when you're generous, God sees it and he is pleased. And may he bless you and may his favor be upon you. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for this wonderful reality that we can use our earthly wealth to, uh, to, uh, to bring fruit in the kingdom. With, uh, Father, I'm thankful for the many people here who are just so generous with their time, their energy, their finances for the kingdom. Father, I pray that, that today would be a day of encouragement for them, that that experience in their, in their spirits right now, this reality of your pleasure over that generosity in their lives, this, this sense that you receive their sacrifice. Father, bless us, all of us, as we make financial decisions in the future, that we'd make decisions that honor you. Help us to see fruitful kingdom work that we're able to invest ourselves into uh, in the future. And bless us as we, uh, as we support your work around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.